What makes you feel awkward? I think it's two things. One, I'm hearing my voice, and two, the <laughs> idea of someone actually listening to this recording. <laughs> Guys, I really do feel so awkward. <laughs> I feel great. I mean, I honestly love hearing my own voice. We will probably cut this out, so for don't sure. worry. Yeah, for sure. It's time to start over. Are you ready? Oh, you want me to delete over? it? Yes. Welcome to this edition of Uncle Reg. No, what do we call it? Brother Reg. Brother Reg. <laughs> Some of my friends call me Uncle Reg, so I get mixed up. I think titles are important. I like Brother Reg. Informal, happy, makes me sound like a Baptist preacher. <laughs> I dig it. So uh, here's my hope today. My hope is to be able to talk a little bit about my professional life and just kind of my crazy journey. I, uh, I'm not totally sure what I'm going to be when I grow up, but it's been a fun journey so far. So anyways, uh, I want to introduce my special guest, my beloved friend's sister. Hi, everyone. My name is Megan. Stoked to be here. Welcome, Megan. Uh, my name is Marco. Marco, are you, now are you from, oh. let's see, Mud Lake? <laughs> yes, I am from a place called Mud Lake. Mud Lake, Idaho? Yes, Mud Lake, Idaho. Are there any Idaho. fun facts about Mud Lake? <laughs> Didn't it used to be called Crystal Lake? <laughs> okay, Whoa, so fact. fun facts. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> Another day. I'm London Parsons. What up, London? What up? We got London on the track. I'm on the track. Woo. So, um, are you guys ready? Yep. So, oh, here's yeah. the deal. When I think about, like, my professional career, first of all, when I was, like, uh, I think when I was eight or nine years old I had this little tiny mini bike and there was a church parking there was a church near my house and kids always wanted to ride my little motorbike and so I charged people a dollar to take a lap around the church <laughs> and kids like lined up with their dollars to to ride rides which I thought was awesome really loved it wow <laughs> and uh I did actually get pulled over by the police for writing that around Mesa, Arizona, <laughs> which was slightly awkward, but that was the beginning of my, of my, uh, I think they were just jealous. Yeah. They, they I told them, to I'm ride. like, yeah, I'm like, Hey, it's a dollar. Um, when I was, when I was 12 or 13, I grabbed the newspaper. They, I don't know if you guys know what a newspaper is, but you guys, they used to print the internet. It was crazy. And then people well, actually paid what? it. Yeah. What? It's the equivalent of printing Get the internet. It's crazy. That must have cost so much. <laughs> it was crazy. So I was looking through the newspaper and I saw this job and I called, I basically called everyone in the help wanted section. And I found this company that said, oh yeah, we don't care how old you are. You're, you'll be an independent contractor. So it's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. You don't have to be 16. I'm like, okay, I'm in. Literally, these guys pick me up in this white van, like the ones that you see in the news to make sure that you avoid. <laughs> they pick me up in this van and in the back of this 15-passenger van that had no windows in the back, by the way. It was like benches, okay? No seatbelts, just like long benches along both sides with a whole bunch of kids that looked like they were homeless, you know, or, or uh, like punks like me. 
And they drove us into Phoenix, into some dumpy neighborhood, and said, "Okay, here's a here's a sheet of paper. Like, go out and sell the newspaper. Your job is to sell the newspaper." And so I'm like 12 or 13 years old, driving around, going around, and just straight up selling newspapers door to door. Not like single newspapers, like subscriptions. So it was like it was crazy and scary. And looking back, I'm like, I can't believe I survived that. Um, when I was 14, I got a job as a busboy, which I loved. And eventually, like I had a whole bunch of random jobs, but eventually I ended up at a bowling center, which I loved. And at the bowling center one time they said, hey, Reg, we want you to go around and get people to sign up for this tournament that's coming up. You're going to go up and down the lanes and talk to people in bowling, in bowling leagues and get them to, to sign up for whatever, to sign up for these tournaments. I went down and... Uh, I got more people to sign up for the tournament that they'd ever had in the bowling center. And I didn't think much of it because I'm like, well, it's just a random bowling alley Mesa. Um, But it turned out that we were the best in the country at it. And so after like, I got these random prizes for being in the best in the country. Anyways, fast forward, I was a senior in high school and I got hired by a company. I don't think they knew I was in high school, but When I was 18, I got hired for a company, an advertising agency, to go into department stores and to get people to sign up for credit cards at a little booth, which, which, uh, actually I loved. It was, it was a fun experience. And, uh, I basically, after the first day, I was supposed to be in this two week training. They were all adults. I felt like a, a little kid, but after the first day of training, I called the CEO directly and I just said, Hey. I know I'm supposed to be doing this two-week training, but I was wondering, like, can I try it on my own tomorrow? And if I don't do well, I'm good with the two-week training. But if I do well on my own, I want to be done with training. And in hindsight, I think he just thought that was funny and gutsy. And so he's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but that first day that I did it, I I beat all of their records per hour on getting people to sign up. And... uh and within like, I think I was the best in the country at that, uh, in that advertising agency, I think within that first week. So my senior year in high school, I flew all over the country and trained other staff um, on my school breaks and on some non-school breaks. I don't really remember what I made per hour when I was that age, but I think like somewhere between depending on the on the day like somewhere between maybe 40 and 150 dollars an hour which like which was unbelievable for a kid in high school um and I blew it like a rock star (laughs) (laughs) I I later um I decided that someone told me that I needed to get a real job so I got a job at um it was a company that's called IBM Direct and I ended up selling IBM computers basically like imagine a sea full of people and I was one of a gazillion people hitting up companies and um, I sold computers but while I was doing that I ended up signing up for a real estate class at the community college and I had no business being in community college at the time but I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and I was convinced that I was going to become rich from doing real estate after reading the book. Anyways there was this uh the real estate class turned out that it had nothing to do with 
like the rich dad poor dad stuff that I loved. It was just boring Arizona state law about real estate and stuff that I didn't really care about. But after after taking that class this semester, we got done. They said, okay, you can now go ahead and take your test and you can be a, a, a residential realtor. I'm like, okay. I went and took the test. I became a realtor. And um, I can't remember the exact numbers, but when I was 20, I think when I was 24 or 25, it was the first year that I had I'd made over a million dollars in a year. And I I learned a lot of lessons from that. Actually, I learned more lessons later in life, but I didn't know what I was doing with money. Uh, I knew how to make it. But basically, after after just two or three years, it turned out by transactions that I was, um, I think we figured out that I was in the top 20 realtors out of, I think there was around 60,000 at the time um, in Arizona. I can't remember the exact numbers. But I loved it, and I gave my soul to it. I've I've had um, since that time I've had I've had my hand in a number of of national and regional companies. Most recently, I sold a, a company called Color in Motion um, that did national national running events all over the country, and I loved it. It was low sleep and crazy, but I did it with one of my best friends, and and we had a great experience. So somehow or another, I ended up teaching here at a university, and which is really kind of ironic because I barely passed high school. Um, I think I don't know what my GPA was. I don't know if it's like one point something to pass high school, but it wasn't pretty. <laughs> and I, I'm a university professor now. I teach sales and negotiation, and. Uh, and I'm in charge of a the director of a program called the Integrated Business Corps, where students actually start and run their own business that I love. But I'm a university professor, which is crazy. I do a, a, quite a bit of consulting for, for sales and business strategy, as well as um, do private coaching for individuals. I don't know anyone luckier than me. I've been, I've been a lucky guy my whole life. Um, you guys speaking of, you guys ever heard of, I guess you guys aren't from Arizona, but there was a show called the Wallace and Lapmo show. It was like this, it basically like, imagine like cartoon. Did you guys watch cartoons as kids? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was more of an HGTV girl. Oh, <laughs> you're like, I just want to know how to flip this house. <laughs> um, but like this TV show, like basically there was two guys, Wallace and Ladmo. And they would have like this small studio audience on their TV set every day. And in between like different, uh, different, what is it called? Different cartoons. They'd basically choose a winner. So they'd be like 17th row, fourth in, and you'd win this Wallace and Labmo bag. Everyone in the Phoenix Valley knew what a Wallace and Labmo bag and everyone dreamed of have one because you were on TV. You got this bag full of surprises and I went with my scout group, and we were sitting there, and and uh, my best friend uh, Sione was sitting was sitting next to me, and all of a sudden, I can't remember if it, I think it was Lamo. He he says, you know, fourth row, third seat in, 
He comes over with the mic, and it's me. I won the Walsh Lama bag. I was so pumped. He hands the, He puts the mic in front of me. He's like, what's your name? I don't say anything. <laughs> My buddy Sione nudges me. He's like, say Reg. I'm like, Reg. <laughs> and so I end up like winning this thing, and everyone in school, even though everyone tried to pretend that they didn't watch cartoons, everyone watched it, and they came up to me, and they're like, you don't even know your own name. It's Reg. Everyone saw it. <laughs> um, two years later, we went on again, which was really flukish. And they said, uh, you know, sixth row, seventh seat in. It was me. No. No, you didn't <laughs> get out. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and Sione was sitting right next to me. <laughs> and he was so mad. He's like, this is ridiculous. Like, so this is rigged. the Arizona State Fair is huge. Like, and every year, the Wallace and Lama show would do a state fair edition with hundreds of people in the studio audience. We sit down. Sione and I went to the fair every single year together. And we're sitting there for the show, and they're like, 13th row, 12th in. <laughs> Guys. No. It's me. No. <laughs> I won three in a row. <laughs> this Did is they not- ever catch on? So here, <laughs> <laughs> like, this is good. this is like what's so cr- so the very next year, Sione and I we go to the state fair with hundreds of people in the studio audience. We sit down. Sione then goes, Reg, get up. Switches me spots like insists that we switch spots because he knows I'm so lucky. Ninth row, two in. Guys, it was me. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh. And then, as crazy as this is, I won one more time after that. No. No. (laughs) I I am the luckiest guy I know. Really. Wow. (laughs) And to this day, like, I thought about this memory, and I called Sione the other day, and I, I just said, hey, Sione. I was just thinking about Wallace and Lambo bags, and he's just like, don't bring it up. It's did, too soon. Did you ever share your prizes with him? I tried to. I really tried to, but I just couldn't. It was too special. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no I tried to give him some stuff, but it really was cool. I'm the luckiest dude I know. So that's kind of like a little bit of, uh, of crazy history of my, of my life. I've had like more jobs than I can possibly think of. And now I'm out cleaning toilets and doing whatever it takes. Oh, I got to tell you, uh, as part of the million dollar challenge, which basically uh, take a single dollar, your time and creativity and see how long it takes to create a million dollars. Basically, I'm watching someone's beta fish for $10 over the Christmas break. I am on my way. As you, uh, what, what are you guys thinking? Like, what, what questions are you thinking here in my, here in my crazy story? Few questions. First off, what is in that bag? What did you win? So it had like tons of candy, tons of soda, tons of like little trinkets that I'm sure sponsors the Phoenix Valley put into those bags. It was like it didn't actually matter what was in the bag at the time. It was like. It was just, it was this unreal thing to win. Just legendary to win. It so you, really was. So you have all that luck. 
I think I won six. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Nobody won any. You know what I mean? Like people go their whole life hoping that they won. And they were old. Like Wallace and Lama were old. So my parents, when they were kids, Wallace and Lama was doing their show. Wow. They were old. So as you continued on through your career, you continued to maybe have some luck. But what amount of that was from like your, you know, drive and hard work and things like that? Was it luck as you continued on through your career? I don't know. Um, I, I think, I think I'm fortunate. I don't know. I don't know if I think about it. I, I do think I'm the luckiest guy I know, but I think, um, I think it's fortunate. It's, it's funny when I, when I reflect on my story, um, in 2007 and 2008, the economy just totally melted down and I conveniently left this part of, out of my story, although it's, I, and I did it on purpose because it's it's a defining it's a defining characteristic or a experience of mine that changed my life. In 2007, 2008, myself and a and a buddy of mine started an advertising agency in Phoenix, and we had scrolling billboard trucks, and we really thought that this was like a crazy multi million dollar business, and we started this business right as the economy was about to tank. And that year, uh, in a single year, we lost seven figures and lost just about, actually, by 2000 and late 2007 or 2008, we had lost everything and totally restarted our whole lives. And, and for someone that considers themselves so lucky, it was a major blow to my, to my self-image to have failure. And it, it really, really cut deep. The, the reflection that took place over the next couple of years after that failure, I attribute a lot of who I am as a result of that failure far more than I, far more than I attribute any of the success. I feel fortunate when I look back on the failure, even though it was when the economy crashed, I take full responsibility for it. It was, it was a, very, you know, when students ask, well, where'd you get your PhD? I'm like, hard knocks of life. <laughs> you, you lose that kind of money. It's like, this changes me for better or worse. But it was, it was crazy. So when, how long did it take for you not to gain back that money, but to get back that confidence? And what helped you to gain that confidence again? I think it was, I think it was years. I would love to say it was like days or weeks. It was years. My, my wife, Sarah Lynn is, you guys have, you guys know Sarah Lynn. She's incredible. Um, most people, and this goes back to the fortune, the fortunate, um, luck of mine. Sarah Lynn, I met in high school and we dated and were high school sweethearts and got married when, when I was 21, Sarah Lynn was 20 and we grew up together basically. And I look back on that time and most people, when, when times are good and you're making a lot of money, it's amazing how many friends you have. It's like, wow, everyone <laughs> loves me, man. I'm so smart, man. I'm so funny or whatever. Everyone likes you. And, and people's marriages tend to do well when times are good like that. 
But when we lost everything, Sarah Lynn went from having everything she could ever dream of financially otherwise to having nothing. And her level of love and our our marriage was absolutely consistent. It, it was loving. It was accepting. She changed zero. And, and to this day, she's exactly the same way she was when we were in high school. The loving, supportive. Uh, she's never blamed me for anything to do with finances. I, I, think, I think risk tolerance, like when I think about my risk tolerance, it's incredibly high. And, uh, and Sarah Lynn's, actually, I don't think of hers as incredibly high. It's more like she's just crazy enough that she trusts that it's going to work out. And it always does. But man, she's, when I think about pulling out of it, I think of having someone that just loved me the way she did, didn't blame me for our life circumstance. If I had to tribute one thing, it was her love and support for sure. Um, and time, time, time is not my enemy. It's my friend. Time has a way of, of softening edges. So I don't know. Time is hard. I, I think all of us in here feel that like we wish that it could even get better, even just a little of time, but sometimes we have to wait a long time for that. I would say like. Uh, patience, one of those things I lack and I'm like, I really like the idea of working on patient and becoming more patient, but honestly, I just don't have time for that lesson, you know? It's like, <laughs> I just don't have time to work on, on patience. I plan to learn that in the next life. I don't have time to work That's on That's my plan. <laughs> I don't want patience to learn patience. <laughs> That's my plan. Lennon, what are you thinking? I don't know. I'm processing. <laughs> if you I like I know for sure you don't have a question but if you did what would it have been <laughs> <laughs> guys can I just say Reg will pull this on you every day <laughs> of your life <laughs> my kids it, it's it's funny like it just does some if you if someone says I don't know and you're like I know you don't know but if you did know what would you say it's crazy and this is going to work on London, by the way. You're giving away our secrets. No, this is this is like <laughs> this is a life hack. Um, <laughs> like if if you're sitting there and you're going with a friend or you're going on a date and you're like, "Hey, where do you want to go eat?" and someone says, "I don't know," instead of playing that game for the next half an hour, next time just say, "I know for sure." I mean, I know that you don't know, but if you did know, where would you say? I'm telling you, they're gonna say. <laughs> and even though they know your tricks, your life hack, it's still going to work. <laughs> so London. Oh my gosh. I know you don't know what question you would ask, but if you did, what would you ask? Um, I would probably ask what what was what has been your greatest or most favorite adventure throughout your life? Professionally? What? Personally? Whatever you choose. I'll pull your line on you. Why don't you make Why don't you make <laughs> an easy question? <laughs> okay. Um, professionally, I would say um, the the color and motion. So basically, like imagine this: people pay fifty dollars and they go on this incredible run, right? And while you're running a five k, people are throwing colored cornstarch at at you, and 
we'd organize these events in like let's say downtown Chicago. We'd rent out Lincoln Park and we'd have, you know, 10,000 people come for the day. And to pull off everything from from coordinating with national sponsors, from coordinating with local radio stations, we we put on events that were just unbelievable. And when you're when you're sitting on top of let's say like a scissor lift and you're overlooking 10,000 people there that are just listening to the music, having the time of their life, and you know that you helped put that on, that high is unreal. It's also incredibly exhausting when you go, you know, we try to do an event about every weekend on Saturdays. Nearly every one of those events, you're you're leading up two or three days with zero sleep. It's not like if you want to close down a major road in a major city in America, it's not like it's not like they give it to you at 2 p.m. the day before. You get it at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning for a morning event, and you have to magically make it happen with for thousands of people with a very limited staff. I will say um, we started working with volunteers, and it was basically our first event was in Dallas, Texas. I think that we had, I want to say, 5,500 or 6,500 people that came to our very first run. And we were so exhausted. When that event got over, I just was bawling. Like, not just tears, actually, like, audibly bawling. And I called my wife, and she's like, what's wrong? She's like, I I just said, I have no idea. I think I was just physically exhausted and over with. But we brought a huge staff. We We worked our tails off. But by the time before we sold the business, we would get to where we could send two people out or three people out and we would have our charity partner with maybe 300 volunteers there and I got to where I could just walk over to where the volunteers were read read the people that were there for about 30 seconds and then I would choose people to run the event right there on the spot among the volunteers and so we ended up not having to have huge staff go all over the country because we got good enough that we could look to see who the volunteers were, immediately see the leaders, pull them out of the group, and have them run aspects of the event. It was, it was a crazy adventure. I lo- I loved it. That sounds crazy. <laughs> okay, wait. I thought of another question. Go ahead. Okay, what advice do you have for people who want to chase their dreams, or for I guess like, you know, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to chase your dreams? Hmm, that's a great question, London. Thank you. I get them every now and then. What's the <laughs> What's the one piece of advice I give someone that wants to chase their dreams? Yeah, or make their dreams come true. Make do, it real. Do something today. It's it's like do you know how many people I run it so as an entrepreneur, people constantly come to me with ideas and they're like, I've got this awesome idea. I've got this great business idea. Well, here's the deal, like no one pays people to have great ideas. Like people pay people for action. And so when most people want to put together a, a Word document or an Excel document and look at that forever before they do something, like why don't you do something today? And instead of spending time putting together, especially when it comes to business and, and revenue and money, the best way to get started is to sell something today instead of coming up with a plan every day for months. 
I always get nervous when people are like, I'm getting ready to start a business. Can you help me with my, can you help me with my logo? I, I can't do anything until I, I have my logo. It's like, go get dang clients. Like go sell something, go do something. Don't, if you're talking about your dang letterhead right now, you're not doing anybody a favor. Nobody's going to see some official letter from your letterhead. Just get to work. So it, if if your passion or if your dream is to do something big, you should do something today because tomorrow's not coming. It just doesn't. Tomorrow is just, when you're in tomorrow, it's today. It, you might as well do it today. You might as well do something today. That's my advice. I have a question to kind of build off of that just doing something today can you talk about or share some stuff that you've shared with me about living in the moment and acting on it we're not talking about an Eminem song right (laughs) (laughs) the moment to own it you got to never let it go no yeah Marco you only get one (laughs) shot do not miss your chance (laughs) guys did that just blow your mind that I knew those words no, it didn't for nah. you. <laughs> I haven't recited those words for like eight years. <laughs> so um, living living in the moment is, I, I peace peace is only found in the present. And and as cliche as this sounds, I think it's powerful. But when you're with people, the greatest present you can give is to be present. If our if our minds are constantly traveling in the future. That's when I tend to deal with with anxiety and fear, when my mind travels in the future. And almost always when my mind travels in the past, I experience regret and shame. And, And the only time I ever experience any peace is in the present. So it's it's easy for me to be caught up in the idea of letting my mind travel into the future. And if I'm feeling physical anxiety or stress, it's because I'm traveling. I'm traveling into the future. And and it's not ever helpful. It's not helpful for me. It's not helpful for the people next to me or with me. Right now, there's some students that are ex- experiencing low sleep, high stress of finals, difficult time. But here's the deal. You might as well be present wherever you're at because you're going to be there anyways. If you're going to be there, it might as well be amazing. It might as well be an experience that, that blesses you and blesses those you're with. And the, uh, Jesus Christ, when, whenever he was asked who he was, there's a quote in the new Testament that says, I am that I am. It was present tense. It never was. It, it wasn't. I was, or I will be. Or when Jesus Christ in uh, the New Testament says, "My peace I give unto you." He didn't say, "My peace I will give unto you," or "My peace I did give unto you." He says, "My peace I give unto you." It's present tense. Peace is in the present. I don't think peace is in the future. And it's undoubtedly not in the past. It's only present. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's more of an answer than... No, that's perfect. You reminded me of something my friend sent me the other day. 
It is living in the present moment rather than living in conflicts, confusion, negative thinking, and overanalyzing of the ruminating heart. To me, that quote, it just signifies that the present and all the fear and anxiety, conflicts and confusion, they don't have to be the same. Because for a while, after you had talked to me about choosing to live in the moment, I was like, well, what if the moment sucks? What if it's really hard that I have to choose to live in that? But really, it's all in my head. I have the choice to to be at peace in the moment and do all that I can in my power. And even in this last week, I've tried to practice it more. And I haven't felt more happy during a finals week than I ever have. And it feels amazing. It's that there's there's so much power in in being present. And I love here here again, like instead of you thinking about it and making plans to do it, you're doing it. Like you might as well, right? Yeah, I'm not like, oh, I'll be peaceful after finals or I'll be happy once everything's over. Have you ever noticed like happiness always seems like it's just seven to twelve percent ahead of you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when you're there, it's just another seven to twelve percent. It might as well you might as well have it now, right? So um, here's the deal. I just want to to tell you that if you're listening to this, that I love you. And I'm this was this was fun to to think about my Wallace and Lama bags think about peace living in the moment and and then thinking about my crazy professional journey so i'm excited to hear from you and i'm excited and grateful to have the best friends and be so lucky to have incredible friends that were here today blessings peace <laughs> thank you bye everyone later bye Deuces.